everybody welcome to the podcast and uh, my mom is uh, our guest today hey folks ambitious did you hear that i switched it back to oh you listened to my last episode with kaylin mm-hmm. so you know that it's back to ambitious mm-hmm. yeah i spent the whole day with you and kaylin yesterday unbeknownst <laughs> to you yeah listen to you guys while i worked in my garden did you like the episode what was your favorite part yeah it was good i i always like it when you and kaylin talk about when you were little and stuff like that just like such a mother thing to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fun it's fun for me to see um how you guys like think about your lives and just the fun that you had it makes me feel like yes i did something right yeah so. do you ever get nostalgic for oh the... yeah all the time <laughs> sometimes like, so most you of guys... my days are spent <laughs> feeling nostalgic for when you guys were children <laughs> sometimes you guys will do something like um a facial expression or you'll say something or you'll talk about something and it's just like oh my gosh that's my little four-year-old yeah. ammon that just came out or some facial expression that kaylin does i'm like oh my gosh she's done that her whole life yeah same thing but <laughs> yeah it's fun for me i wonder what that's like to have a child and just to see them grow up and uh, i don't know <laughs> i wonder if i'll ever know i wonder there's nothing as frustrating and rewarding as that Hmm. nothing more frustrating or rewarding like in the bible and in the bible when it says the great and terrible day that always confused me like how can something be really great and how can it be really terrible but yeah yeah raising a child is very great and terrible (laughs) yeah for sure sometimes i try to put myself in your shoes Mm -hmm. and just think about okay if i was my mom or my dad and i was seeing like me how would i feel i think about that a lot before i have conversations with you it would be like me trying to explain to you what it feels like to have a baby if there's nothing i mean you can dream it up in your head yeah but there's nothing you can do well i don't necessarily do it so that i can know exactly how you feel i do it so that i can be a little bit more compassionate Mm -hmm. going into a conversation with you because kids are always wanting to be understood Mm-hmm. Like, understand me. Don't you see this is my life and I'm trying to just be happy? Uh, yeah. So rather than doing that, I try to go into it understanding you and how you must feel so that I can have more compassion. And usually when I do that, the conversation goes a little smoother. And then we both come away feeling more understood. I think that if you want to be understood, first stop and try to understand. Like, you know that feeling when mm-hmm. somebody's telling a story and you have this urge to jump in and share. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the moment where you should try and hold your tongue and just like really listen, make, make eye contact and listen. I saw that in a yeah. TikTok and I was like, oh, that's good advice. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to do that more in my life. Nice. It's really good. Helps in a relationship, helps mm-hmm. in all relationships, mm-hmm. like whether the person is your romantic partner or it's your mom or... It definitely helps as a parent, too, not to jump in and say, ah, how could you do this? What were you thinking? Yeah. Helps to kind of understand what's going on behind the scenes rather than just jump in and react. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Because even as a parent, you, you want to be understood, too. Like, don't you see that I put this house over your head and I put mm-hmm. clothes on your back and food on the table? Uh, and I don't think kids really do realize that. No, they don't realize until you, until you go through it. <laughs> Did, and do you? It yourself. Did you? Did you no. realize that? <laughs> but you, I mean, I remember you guys saying that to me, like I provided this food for you. 
And so I'm like, yeah, I mean, you did, but that doesn't mean anything to me because mm-hmm. I've never had to do that for anyone else. Well, and because it's always been there. You've never been on the street. Yeah, you've never, I don't know anything You've different. never had to, like, worry about where is my next meal coming from. Right. So. What's the hardest part about being a parent? Gosh, I think it's watching your kids make their own choices. You know, when they grow up and they become adults and they decide to think differently or just, you know, you just have to watch and and then they want to talk to you and and tell you about their experiences. And that's great. And I love that. I would not ever want them to not come to me. That's hard, too, is when they choose not Mm. to come to you. Yeah. But when they're talking to you about, you know, about things or something like that, and you just have to sit there and be like, you know, I love you more than anything. Well, things things that you don't agree with or something. mm Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Maybe something you don't agree with. Mm. And, you know, and that's when what you just said about listening comes in perfectly. You just listen because mm. and you hope that they understand how much you actually love them. I'm sure that it's a, a new le- new level of difficult, though, to remove your belief of what you think will make your child happy mm-hmm. out of the conversation. Yeah. And just try to understand and listen when you're like when everything inside of you is screaming, mm-hmm. I don't think this will make you happy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, don't get me wrong. Those years when you're, everyone's little and nobody wants to eat their food, nobody wants to sleep or they want to sleep too much. Those are hard. Mm. That's really, really hard. That's very physically taxing and mentally taxing. And then when your kid gets sick, like Kaylin got so sick, needed surgery. And, you know, they just get, that's really, really hard. But then when you grow up and then have adult children, it gets really, really hard in another way. You know, just like emotionally, your heart Mm. just like just breaks when you watch your kids go through. So when they're babies, it's emotionally really exciting because they're babies and everything Mm -hmm. is great. But it's maybe physically hard because you're not sleeping as much and you're Mm -hmm. maybe nursing, which you did. Mm -hmm. And then having to take them to the hospital and. (laughs) Yeah things with your marriage are probably a little bit different because you're now a parent and you're not Mm -hmm. like your uh, attention and and time is being competed yeah it's in a competition for you for your partner and for your kids so that's probably challenging you have to really prioritize your time but then when they get Mm -hmm. older it's emotionally taxing gosh so why do you do it (laughs) why do you do it why do you because, like I said, there's nothing as rewarding as being a parent. Tell me about that. Well, it's just like when you see, when I watch, I would watch Kaylin on stage when she was doing dance, you mm. know, or, or watching you dance just for fun or watching <laughs> you do skateboarding or something. It's like, oh my gosh, my kid is so good at that. Yeah. And it brings tears to your eyes because they're doing something so cool. And every time I see your pictures or your artwork or Kaylin's artwork, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And then like Canyon being able to go and juice and Brayden being manager. And it's just like, man, they have such skills that they can employ. Does it fulfill something inside of you though? It it really does. Because when you see him interact and and I can watch Dyson, even though he's playing games at this point, I can also watch him be a compassionate friend and watch him. You know, I remember watching Canyon and and Brayden um, style themselves, you know, watching them go shopping. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is ugly. And then they put it on and I'm like, wow, that looks really good on you. And it's good on you. Just watching them inner, like watching them, I guess it's like 
just individualize themselves, you know, self-actualization. They're actually growing up and they're figuring it out and they're trying on new styles or trying on new thoughts. And even you, you know, trying on new um, ways to live your life. And it's, it's really fulfilling. It's, it's exciting. It's hard to watch because it like might not be something that I would do, Mm -hmm. but, um, or, or the way that I thought our lives were going to go. It's like you have this goal in mind and, you know, when things deviate from that, it's hard as a parent to watch that happen. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I guess we're branching out and things aren't exactly like I planned. But it's okay. And you have to be flexible and understand that even though it's not going like you thought it was going to go, it's still going to be okay. You know, still, it's still going to be all right. I was just talking to my neighbor over here. She's studying to be a teacher. So she's been going through her student teaching in the COVID world, which I would never, ever want to do. Yeah. But she's been doing it, and she's a planner. Man, she just likes to plan, and she's really good at it. And she has a little toddler, and her husband's going through school, so their lives, she has to plan it out. And she was just texting me the other day, and she said that her teacher, her, her CT last time has been giving her a hard time about being too planned. What's a CT? Oh, a CT is a cooperating teacher. So, oh. um, it's the teacher that was training her. She oh. goes into a classroom and then that other teacher is like, you know, you can't always be so planned out. And she's like, what's wrong with being planned? And it's mm. exactly that, that I just said, like you have this plan and sometimes it's very difficult to deviate from that plan. You have to be flexible and let go really? of some of that control. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of teaching, how is that going <laughs> during COVID? Because you're a teacher, fifth grade, right? Fifth grade. It's all via Zoom. Yeah, we're going back to school March 1st. They're actually bringing back um, kindergarten through third grade first. Mm. They're doing that on the 22nd of February. And then they're bringing back fourth and fifth on March 1st. And then they'll bring back the other ones, I think, a week after that, the older um, so six through eight, cause I work at a school that, um, kids unlimited in Medford and it has, um, K through eighth grade. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, it's, so we've taught now for a year. I think we came, we started teaching online. I think it was after spring break last year. Mm-hmm. So we've been online pretty much for a full year. It's been like 11 months. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're in February now. Mm-hmm. So I've just been home. I haven't been in the classroom. I've just been teaching from home. Yeah, over Zoom. I can't even imagine having to drastically adapt. It's been hard. Yeah. (laughs) Our school's kind of unique in that they've had um, childcare provided for the students and so for the families. And so um, they've been able to have kids at school with an aide in the classroom for the time that we do instruction, like direct instruction. So many of the kids in my class, there's about 12 of them, I think, that are um, actually online in the classroom. Mm. And then the rest are at home. But I think all of my students have chosen to come back to the classroom. They do have the option to not come to the class. They give the students the option? The parents, yeah. The the, the families, the the opportunity to opt out and just to still come to class do you get a choice no what are your feelings about going back i'm really excited to go back yeah i really want to the kids excited to interact in person yeah definitely yeah yeah probably be nice to get out of the house 
it would be nice to actually walk around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I probably burn a total of like, I don't know, 300 calories a day, just going up and down the stairs, letting the dogs out. Don't do anything except for sit and plan and teach. It's awful. Gosh, I can't even imagine. I think that teachers deserve a lot more uh, credit and recognition. Just having to adapt like that and to do everything online. I'm sure that, I mean, most people don't even know what that involves. What do you think would be the hardest part about a teacher's life right now? I mean, I'm just curious as for people who don't teach and really have exposure to that, what what the average person mm-hmm. would think would be the hardest part. I would say probably just having to discipline kids and make sure that they are on task while, I mean, I guess it depends on the age, but yeah, fifth grade, just keeping kids in line when they're all in a different place and I don't know, just keeping them on task, making sure that they're getting their work done and enforcing that be way harder. Yeah. It's really tough. And like making, making sure that they show up, you probably have to just rely on the parents to get them to, but I guess that's the case with regular school too. Just making sure that they, that the kids show up. We have really good attendance at KUA. The kids are really good. It's a unique school in that it's an academy in Medford. And we also do after school activities and enrichment programs so that the kids actually, even though the school day ends, well, right now it ends at 1.30 because of being online. But when we go back to school, it'll be a full day from 8 to 3. And then they have enrichment programs that they choose and they get to do that until 5 o'clock. So that's why the childcare comes in so handy for parents that are, have been used to this structure and then yeah. they can still work if they still have their jobs. But uh, we have really good attendance at KUA because parents are working and they need their kids in gotcha. childcare. So, but huh. it has been difficult online because the kids, like I said, over half my class is at home. So these kids are having to tend their younger siblings, help them out with their tech problems. Right. And then get them online. Yeah, and just then like be being distracted and TV games. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if you have any technical problems on your end, or they have mm-hmm. any on their end, it probably feels like being a college professor. Because I know a lot of college classes yeah. are online, but now you're having to actually sit and interact with them on Zoom. Because when you're in in their presence, teaching in person you don't have to worry about like a a lag with your internet or the connection being poor if they heard everything you said or them knowing how to log in. You're just there. They're in front of you. You can just talk to them and discipline them and you know they're hearing you. Mm -hmm. Whether they choose to listen or not is a different story. But I bet that these kids are going to be pretty good with tech when they get older and they're going to be really good at online classes and yeah. Just going to be a whole new. So are we as their teachers? Type of we had to student. learn that program in a, a week. We had to learn Google yeah. Classroom. We had to learn Zoom. We had to learn everything in like two weeks. That's right. what we had to. It was well, just not adequate training at all, but they did the best they could. There's just a magic that's lost with being in person, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's not the same. No. You can't really like bring as much of your personality out. Huh. <sighs> Or do the activities or anything like that. And like we were talking about with planning, there's a lot of that that gets lost too because there's been so many times I've wanted to say, okay, everyone grab a piece of paper 
And they're like, oh, paper. And it takes them five minutes to find a piece of paper. Yeah. Whereas, you know, here at least I can hand it out and have it out in exactly. you know, less yeah. than a minute. It's just a lot more responsibility everything. you have to put onto the student and the and their just willingness to show up and be prepared. And Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Which they needed, to be honest. They needed the um the independence. They needed to this to know that they can rely on themselves just that ability to be self-reliant to get themselves up to you know make themselves show up and to have all their stuff together because their mom is not there to do it for them they have to do it Mm. so it's been really good actually for them in that way but teaching them some independence mm -hmm. that's true and to know that they can do it they can get online they can advocate for themselves like hey i don't get this well show up for my office hours i have office hours four days a week you can come to me and you know, do they show up? No. Yeah. I have two kids that regularly show up and they're the lowest ones in my class, but they show up because Hmm. they want the individualized help. You know, they need that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that's like. Never been a teacher and I do not envy your position. (laughs) (laughs) I like what I do. Yeah, I do too. Thanks. It's fun making those videos with you back in the day. Mm-hmm. One of those videos that I was making, the expository writing, I showed you the other day. It's got over 10,000 views. I have been thinking of other ones we need to do, for especially for writing. Yeah. But yeah, I think it would be really fun to do yeah. some more of those and to just show them. Because right now, my kids just wrote a biography on an explorer. And I thought, gosh, that would be so fun to have you bring in that energy to the classroom again and just show them that video. And then they can go back and rewatch it every time they need to. I need to be in a certain mood to bring that type of energy to a video. <laughs> it takes a special day. Well, you were, what, five years younger and you might have had more energy back then. That wasn't five years ago. It was like three. Three Maybe. years ago. I've been teaching fifth for three years, so it was probably four, four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, what else is on your on your mind lately? What kind of things are stressing you out in life these days besides school? Hmm. Some health problems going on right now, and I think a lot of it is directly related to just the stress of teaching and the stress of life right now. Mm. Um, so stress is creating mm-hmm. health problems for you? Yeah. Gosh, there's really something to be said for that. I feel like a lot of people are going through that. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how stress can affect your health like that every aspect of your life your mood the way that you feel and like literally health problems yeah do you want to talk about your health problems on Mm, here not really (laughs) (laughs) i i'm just i'm very frustrated too with the whole system you know like i take a different stance on a lot of things and so hearing this morning dad was showing me some um gosh i wish i could remember and refer back to the actual um group of doctors that was talking but they were saying how um masks do nothing to Mm. help stop the spread of covid Mm. and they were saying how um well people just wear them wrong people wear them wrong but also just the actual like a mask especially those people who are choosing to wear and i feel like i'm gonna get a lot of people that hate me after i say things like this but this is just i'm just speaking about things that i heard today okay and you know people that wear bandanas it does zero you know the the germs that cause covid are like a thousandth 
of a width of hair, you know, and it gets directly mm. through the mask and it does nothing to stop well, it. Well, I think so, it gets through pretty much any mask, except yes. for even in N95, mm-hmm. there's, it's getting through. But I don't think that the point is to stop the uh, the virus getting out of the mask. I think it's just to slow down its trajectory. Yeah. Well, in this in this um, thing that they were talking about, they said that masks are basically for like personal comfort, you know, like oh. a society just for the comfort oh. of seeing it. And I understand that the germs get through or can get through or whatever. And it might help you to think before you like touch your eyes or touch your nose or your mouth you know it might get you to think about it does for things me. like that yeah it reminds you not to touch or something like that but um they also said something in the which i kind of laughed at as i was watching it because he's like we don't cough on each other we we literally we i mean people just don't cough on each other and i'm like you're not a teacher because <laughs> i get coughed on i got coughed into my <laughs> mouth the other day <laughs> oh gosh i mean not in the last year but yes i mean when i was teaching kindergarten boogers everything <laughs> vomit diarrhea all bodily blood. fluids you know blood. yeah everything all over you all the time and you can't say that people don't cough. They just, they do. People cough and yeah. whether they cough on their hands and don't realize it or in their shirts and then you hug them. Yeah, it might not be direct, but it does happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I, I went started going back to the gym and I wear a mask. Everybody, ha- you have to. And uh, you know, you're touching everything at the gym. You have to touch stuff, the weights and the machines. And I I just think about it first. If I go to just habitually touch my nose, there's mm-hmm. a mask there, mm-hmm. which stops me. I'm like, oh yeah. Like I, if I really want to touch my nose, I have to pull my mask down mm-hmm. and then touch it. So that's one way that I think it helps. Yeah. But if we take this all back to the teaching world, you know, when I go back on March 1st, I'm expected to wear a mask. And so is everybody that's in the classroom. Masks are absolutely required. It's not an option. You have to wear it, even as a 10-year-old kid. Uh But what is that teaching children? They Children learn by facial recognition. They learn that way. They've done tests, and there's articles written about children that are put in front of a screen and taught, you know, ABCs or whatever through a screen. They just don't learn that way. There's nothing that can replace the facial, you know, looking at another adult True. and and seeing their facial expressions. They just were, were dehumanizing our children. You know, these kindergartners, the kindergartners that are coming to school and learning, and they're doing great with their masks. They're doing so good. But they really have no idea what kind of facial expressions are going to match what kind of emotions because they can't see it. you got to just learn how to teach with your eyebrows. Man, you can't teach the... Um, the TH sound, the PH sound, the SH sound oh, yeah. without looking at someone's That's mouth. True. You're, you know, those teachers are going to have to either pull down their mask or wear a shield or something because, yeah. I mean, there's there's oh, all yeah, kinds like those of clear speech. shields. Mm-hmm. You could do that, except those aren't approved. They're not approved. Oh, people wear those at the gym. But, well, for schools, they're not approved. I don't know what's approved at the gyms, but huh? Yeah, they should invent yeah. some kind of a clear. Well, they have Face they mask. have them, but they fog, they oh. fog up and get all that moisture. It's so gross. Gosh, man, there's like nothing. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah, Everybody it's, should it's just, just sit in a tough. cubicle. Yeah. You could have a big, you know, well, screen they, that isn't be- between you and the students, so at least that you don't have to wear a mask or something. Yeah. 
Uh, it's awful. Wow. So many things you, you don't even think about as a mm-hmm. regular citizen. I never would have thought about how to teach a student. Like, yeah, the, the TH sound versus the CH sound and the SH sound. That's hard. Yeah. Wow. You can tell them that, <laughs> you know, oh, your tongue is between your teeth and your lips should vibrate and tickle when you say the word right you know when you're you know it's like we do that we tell them where their tongue should be what their you know the roof of their mouth or in the back or whatever we tell them because some kids learn better that way and some kids learn better by watching and i'm a watching type of a learner yeah very visual yeah yeah me too for sure well I yeah good luck with that like I'm excited to hear what kind of innovative things that you can come up with and how how it's going Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll I'll I'll hear about it as I come over here and do laundry yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah yeah well what about things that are going good in your life there are lots of things that are going really good I feel like um like we were talking about students having to be a little bit more proactive and their own learning and stuff like that. And I've learned that about myself that I need to be more proactive about like my health and doing things for me and, you know, getting out there, you know, going for walks and stuff. I haven't been very good at it because it's been really cold, but I feel like it's helped in that the people that are really important like in my life, like my children, especially, um, I do see more of them, which is super awesome. That's good. I love that so much being able to see them more. You're like, yeah. uh, school students that you're talking about. No, just you guys. Oh, just my children. Yeah. That's going really good. And after the fire, we've all been, you know, really safe from that. And I feel like the neighborhood has, um, so this is the Alameda fire for anyone who's listening that might not know, um <clears throat> happened on my birthday september 8th of 2020 it was a hot um, one it was a hot one sure was but uh too soon when that <laughs> when that roared through you know our whole neighborhood after that really came together and that's been super nice like we've um dane and i have talked about dad and i have talked about selling the house or something and that's one thing that's really tough to leave is that sense of camaraderie that we have in this neighborhood that's pretty cool. So, mm-hmm. I've really never experienced it anywhere else ever. Really? That we're on like a group text. And so we've had, um, since the fire, we've had a lot of missing animals that have been found because of we can send texts. Oh, that's cool. And uh, yeah, it's been really nice. I've never seen that anywhere else. The whole neighborhood's on it? Mm-hmm. It's Some cool. people get tired of it and leave because their lifestyle doesn't allow for like multiple texts coming through. Yeah. But it was nice that I could kind of send a text around Halloween time and say, hey, how's everyone handling Halloween this year? And so that started a big group like I'm we're not coming. We're not going to be there or yes, we will be. We'll be handing out candy just fine or I'm going to put it out in front so I could get kind of an assessment. And people were able to take part in that and a bunch of texts coming through on Christmas wishing everybody Merry Christmas and or whatever. Happy holidays. That's cool. Yeah, it was it was really cool. All right, got to be politi- politically correct. Yeah. Happy holidays, holidays, not Merry Christmas. Yes. That's pretty cool. I like that. A little bit of camaraderie and can, uh, just community. Mm-hmm. Like the world needs more of that as we're so quarantined and disconnected. Having a little bit of yeah. connection is really nice. We have another party, not party, but I guess meeting coming up. They do it outside 
Yeah. So a text or email will come through and they'll say, we have this thing to discuss about our neighborhood and let's meet at this time at this area. And it's been really cool. I don't know. I just maybe I think the next neighborhood I move into, I'm going to start something like that because I think it's very cool that everyone can get together and just discuss what's important to them. Would you want to move somewhere else, like to a different city or state or country? Well, Dad and I have been talking about it. We've been talking about just moving or going mobile or something. And Mobile, what does that look like? Living in a trailer? Yeah, or a bus. I've seen buses that have been redone, like so cute. I don't know if I'd want a bus, but um, I probably wouldn't do cool. anything like that until Dyson got older. That would destroy his social life. <laughs> But for dad and I, it'd be so perfect Yeah, just to go out and, you know, become a couple again, like a real, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it would be really interesting. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the marriage is, uh, you got to get creative after, what's it been, 32 years? 32 years. We've been married 32 years. How, do you have to and... get creative to, like, keep it Oh, yeah. Alive? I mean, I think I with dad, he's, like, the most loving and he's just such a good person. Like you were saying, you like your marriage changes when you have kids and your marriage changes when, you know, the stress and stuff like that. And yeah. he has absolutely been the perfect spouse in the way that he's been able to support me through all of that stuff. Waking up at night and, you know, all the time that I went to school and any stress that I have with kids, he's never gotten frustrated with it. He's never been negative in any way because he saw his parents go through all of it too and his parents were married for a long time and you know only death has separated them so right it's been he's he's had a really good example of what a really good working marriage looks like and so you know for us yeah you do have to get creative but you just make that commitment like you're gonna stick this out and you're gonna be there for each other and as I change in my you know my um middle-aged I guess menopausal hormones menopausal hormones (laughs) I've recently heard in this book um that hormones are not to blame for a lot of things that happen in your life so I'm trying not to blame them what book is that sure come as you are oh yeah yeah and I can't remember her name the author the author do you know the author no give her some credit because she deserves it it's a really great book it's mainly about just intimacy and understanding um, what each of you bring to the relationship, especially, you know, intimately bring to the relationship. But uh, she says that hormones are not to blame for um, decreased, you know, sexual desire or... Emily or... Nagoski. There we go. Emily Nagoski. I knew it was something that was... So hormones aren't to be blamed for the change in your... blamed. Yeah, that's what she... Wait, wait, aren't you blamed for what exactly? Well, well, specifically, she's talking about reduced drive. And oh. First of all, she talks about like a sexual drive. It's not really a drive. Uh-huh. Like you have a drive to eat because if you don't, you're going to die. And so when we call sex drive a drive, it makes it feel like you're broken if you don't have that sex drive. So it's not like a, like a so, need like to eat or to drink no. water. I mean, you can live a perfectly healthy i'm not going to say happy <laughs> you can live a perfectly <laughs> you can survive healthy life without ever having sex right so it's so just hormones a desire aren't to blame for that 
Mm-mm. She says it's more huh. like stress in your life. And I think as I've gotten older, the last few years especially have been extremely stressful mm-hmm. just with changes and, you know, the fire and the sicknesses and yeah. everything like that. It just gets very, very stressful. And so that stress kind of puts on the brakes and it's like, you hmm. know, well, for some people, mm-hmm. for some, that's exactly what she says. For some, yeah. it puts on the brakes for others. It hits the accelerator and it, but so dad and I are different in that way. Yeah. So I think, uh, that's pretty common. Like mm-hmm. men and women are just different with that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to generalize necessarily, but I think that that is pretty common mm-hmm. for a lot of men and women. They're, they're different in that way. And we're just never done learning. I mean, yeah, we've been together for 32 years, but we understand that we just don't know everything. Uh-huh. And that, that, that little nuances of our relationships and who we are as a person that day who did i wake up to be today what's the best piece piece of marriage advice you could give as somebody who's been married for 32 years gosh i would say just never stop learning just always learn all you can about your partner about yourself take time for yourself take time for your partner and just really you know, be open-minded and figure out what is right for you. Like whether it's in the bedroom, whether it's what you're going to have for dinner, like everything, your diet, how is your diet going to affect? It affects you. It affects everything. It affects how you can interact with each other, how you can interact with your job. And I think it's so important Hmm. And your spirituality. How are you connected to the earth? How are you connected with divinity? Yeah, I think you just always have to keep reevaluating yourselves and reevaluating your values as a couple and as a family. That's good advice. I think recognizing that you're not the same person that you mm-hmm. were and that you're going to continue to change and to keep up a constant relationship with yourself. Um Mm-hmm. relearning who you are and and meditating and spending time alone like you said is really good because yeah. if you don't understand yourself and know yourself and love yourself how are you supposed to give that to somebody else yeah and the world changes the values of the world change i mean so much like we learned about that story about the masks and stuff that i told you about today yeah um you know the the values that are forced on us by media or by you know, whether it's the news or social media or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you you need to like evaluate that as as yourself and as a couple. How do I feel about this? Mm-hmm. How do I get more and more couples now are choosing not to be monogamous. They're choosing to like, you know, and, and you might look at that like and say, Oh, I need to I need to have an open relationship. Maybe that's what's missing and you know, but I think before you just go and do that, you need to discuss and you know, really, really think about, is this what I want? Is that really what I want to have in my life? Is that going to help me as a person, as a couple? Is that, is that too, you know, I, I just feel like you need to take every situation and really think it through and be careful and make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. You're not doing it because your best friend's doing it or because a bunch of people on social media are doing it and it's working for them. You need to really think about 
you know, how is this certain diet choice going to affect me as a person, my own kidneys, my own digestive system, my own What are your feelings about like having to actually try certain things with, because sometimes you have to actually try before you can really make that decision and how it's going to affect you or if it's going to be good for you. That's true. But I think a lot of research would, would do good too. You know, you need to do the, do the research and really talk about it as a couple and see how that's going to. That's the key. I think is communicating with your partner before just going and doing something Mm -hmm. that could also potentially affect them. Yeah. And, uh, really just be open, be open with yourself too. Like, and be smart. Don't just look at social media. You know, I think we're stuck in this world of checking with social media before we post anything or before we make a decision, we have to look and, you know, see how, how does my, my favorite other person that I follow on social media, what do they think? You know, you mm. really just have to make those decisions yourself and be smart about them. True. I think that uh, willing, having the willingness to try in a relationship, like going back to just speaking about relationships, the willingness is a big part of it that can really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Like you might not always know what to do. You might make mistakes. You will make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as long as you have the willingness to to work on yourself and to work with your partner and be patient with them and yourself, that's, I think, I mean, that's what keeps me and Taylor together mm-hmm. is a willingness to continue trying because I mess up all the time. I make big, I make big mistakes. Well, maybe not like big, but to me, they feel big and they make a impression on me and they create a lot of processing and emotional uh mm-hmm waves in my relationship but i always am having a willingness i have a willingness to like go to therapy Mm -hmm. and to talk to my life coach and to do something different the next time Mm -hmm. and it really hurts my pride sometimes with certain mistakes that i make Mm -hmm. especially when she calls me out Mm -hmm. but i know that she does it i'm learning that she's doing it from a place of love and a desire to uh, she just doesn't put up with my with my trash like my Mm-hmm. She's like, look, this is what's happening for you. Mm-hmm. You're doing this. And uh, she calls me out. Mm-hmm. And that hurts. It does hurt. Yeah. It hurts to be called out, especially by somebody who you love so much and you want to be the best mm-hmm. version of yourself for them. But they see you at your most vulnerable, your most weak. And that's why it hurts so much because they have so much power of you, mm-hmm. potentially, to, to cause a lot of harm and pain. Mm-hmm. and coming from a place of brokenness and pain and trauma mm-hmm. and trust issues from my previous relationship mm-hmm. that's uh, i just feel pain i feel fear is the main thing that i feel when she sees me in my vulnerability and weakness i feel a lot of fear because i have a you know there's potential for pain again mm-hmm. there and you have to look at your shadows and be like, okay, I'm afraid to be alone. I'm afraid to be hurt again, to be cheated on. I'm afraid to fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, instead of always running from that, and that's just not really any way to live your life, I don't think. You have to really face those things. And it's okay if your partner calls you out. If your partner is yeah. doing it from a place of love and a desire to help you grow. And as long as they're doing it for themselves too, that can't just all be about you and what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. has to be a two-way street, and mm-hmm. it is for my relationship. But yeah, just something I've been learning a lot lately that's been a 
the forefront of my life. And that's really good. And I feel like, you know, people's relationships can be like that as long as both of them are willing to do that growth. Because it can't just always be like you said, it can't always be just one person telling the other one, this is what I need from you. This is what you did wrong today. This is, but you have to be able to say, okay, I'm feeling this about what you did today and then have them freak out about, you know, that's not fair. So it needs to be both ways. And plus the trust to be able to tell them and hear that you need to improve. I think there's also an appropriate time to say that. Like Mm -hmm. if they're, bringing up something about you Mm -hmm. i don't think that it's appropriate to say well i noticed this about you because that just comes off as defensive Mm -hmm. and i think (laughs) yeah most people struggle with that when you're being called out your first human nature response is to want to defend yourself Mm -hmm. and be like well but that's not how i meant Mm -hmm. it or that's not do you think that maybe you are taking it that way because Mm -hmm. of your filter or are you projecting onto me right now Mm -hmm. Instead, just be like, it doesn't matter if they're mm-hmm. like, this is the way that they are feeling. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's, um, if, if you meant it that way or not. What matters is that this is your person coming to you with vulnerable mm-hmm. feelings and uh, to listen to them, like to understand them first. And then if you do have something to say or you would like to explain yourself, just wait for a second and just mm-hmm. really listen. Mm-hmm. Make them like, try to do some reflective listening or mirroring right i mean i'm mostly speaking for myself that this is what i need i need somebody who can be reflective do mm-hmm. some reflective listening and mirroring so i hear what you're saying what is you're this saying. <laughs> like you're saying this to me like yes yeah, so thank you for understanding me mm-hmm. so and then maybe take the chance to explain yourself or right offer some insight context whatever it is to solve the problem or to mm-hmm. help your person understand you a little bit better but first give that understanding and so important to do that and yeah. as a teacher, I've learned how to do that mm. because I don't think I learned it till the classroom because in, in the classroom, there's basically, there's basically just a couple of reasons why kids act out. Either it's a power struggle and they want to have power or they're going to want to get attention in some way, hmm. or it might just be because they had a bad morning or something like that. But basically it comes down to why I feel like they're acting this way. Do I feel like it's a power struggle? Because Hmm. if I feel like that, then that's what it is. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's how I perceive it happening. That's probably why. You know what I mean? If it's a power struggle in my mind, then that's why they're doing it. It's Uh, really all about how I perceive it. So if I see my partner doing something and I think that they're doing it for a certain reason, you know what I mean? I need to be able to tell them that and, and then... If I said something to dad and then he, he responds back to me, you know, I, it's really good. Like what you said, that reflective listening, because I'll do that as a teacher. I'll say, so what I hear is this as a teacher, what I hear you say right now is this. And then the child or the partner can reframe it and say, well, actually it's this with a 10 year old. It's a little bit different to actually get to the root of what's happening. But as an adult, for me to hear back from dad, why I'm doing what he's hearing in his head, you know, it's very good for me to hear that. Yeah, it's it's proof to the other person that you are listening to them and not Mm -hmm. listening to yourself while they're speaking to you. Because that's the most infuriating thing. It's like, yeah, you're not you're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. You're hearing me and you're getting defensive, Mm -hmm. but you're not listening to me. 
And you want to make sure that you're not hearing what they're saying through your past. Or through a filter, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, I, I don't blame anyone. I'm not saying this isn't me like calling out any specific person. It's just like saying in general, this is what people do. This is what, I mean, I do in relationship. I get defensive. We all do it. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I'm really trying to avoid. I was reading, I talked about this on the, you know, the last episode, the untethered soul. Mm -hmm. Such a good book. I highly recommend it. I just finished it. The last chapter was not my favorite. It just got really biblical and you know, his, uh, the author's opinion, mm-hmm. which is fine, but I just didn't really love it, love his opinion. But the first, like, however many chapters of the book were so great. Like, learning how to, I, I talked about it with Caitlin, like, that narrative voice that's in your head. That voice is always so loud when somebody else is critiquing you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're not going to let that person tell you what, you, how you, like you're not gonna, gonna let that person narrate you for you, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And so your your narrative voice, you inside your head, you're <laughs> defending your narration, mm-hmm. and it's super super hard to let that go <laughs> and to just quiet that voice down mm-hmm. and learn how to just be present, like mm-hmm. allow your awareness to just listen. It's really difficult. I feel like I was a lot better at that. So as I was listening to that, I've been going through this the last like probably week of me feeling exactly like that, like that narrative in my head. So if I can just take a second and explain, like we had in, in at work, we had these classrooms that were, we've always been back there. I've taught for the last three years back there and we have bathrooms right between the classrooms. It's an annex building and, and it's worked out fine, but because of, other things happening and other needs in the in the school they've taken those rooms away from us and put us in a different spot which doesn't have any bathrooms so the kids in order to use the bathroom now that students have to cross an alleyway and go into the main building that's always locked so it's a huge problem <laughs> and we were doing some um scheduling and my, my teaching partner and I were just like breezed over. No one acknowledged us. We got a time that we didn't want that neither one of us asked for. And then we we were just like <laughs> having such a hard time. And I, I got to feeling like no one cares about you. You mm. know, see, see what they're doing. The school doesn't even care about fifth grade. Mm. Well, of course they care. But that's what my inside narrative yeah. was telling me. Like, they don't care about you as a person. They don't value you as a teacher. They don't care the inconveniences that you have to have. And that narrative was just trying so hard and succeeded in making me feel horrible for days. <laughs> nice. It was not a good narrative. That's but frustrating. It's very frustrating. But I, I mean, if I look at the big picture of course, and be open-minded and just do more like a stoic would do and just say, this is the universe. This is happening. What's my place in it? What can I learn from this experience? How can I come out of this experience being a better person and giving more to other people, you know, using that kind of philosophy? And I was thinking, well, we can be creative. We can enjoy the bigger rooms that we have. We can work together. I can learn how to work with my teaching partner and support her because she's feeling the same frustrations I am. So it's it's working out well, and I have to say that, of course, it's never easy to be displaced like that in a classroom and <laughs> yeah. have to 
move every single bit of your personality out of the classroom. Yeah. So it's all in my living room and in my house right now. Right. <sighs> but, I mean, it's okay. I just, I was identifying with that thought, the inner narrative yesterday as I was listening to you and Kaylin do that podcast or that, yeah. That episode. That episode. Mm-hmm. I was very much identifying with it in my head. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I think that everybody can identify unless you're a sociopath and you have no inner voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think most people know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a schizophrenic and you have multiple voices. Yeah. Then just hope you don't argue. <laughs> I'd be curious to talk to somebody who has, who's like, has, what's it called? Schizophrenia? Schizophrenia. Be yeah. curious to talk to somebody that has that. Or like split personality or multiple personality. It is fascinating. Yeah. Do you know anybody or have you met anybody that? Mm-mm, I haven't. I've seen things on like TV shows and there's a show right now. I don't know if it's on Netflix or where it's at. I'm sorry. I can't tell you exactly, but I think it says I am Jane mm. or something. And she has several personalities and it's, it's quite interesting. Mental illness is something that I don't really understand very well, but I scares me a lot i really enjoy having a clear mind yeah and i've spent so much time battling my add which a lot of the uh what do you, what do you call it S- symptoms i guess of add that i struggle with are brain fog and the inability to turn off that narrative mm-hmm. in my head it's mm-hmm. oh my my brain just feels like a thinking machine and i feel like it's sometimes i feel like a, a prisoner mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. i can't turn it off so when i'm listening to people i have a really hard time listening to them and so i spent a lot of time trying to find techniques strategies behavioral adjustments uh or drugs or whatever to to deal with that or to clear that and by drugs, I mean like Adderall, which I haven't mm-hmm. ever tried, but I've done a lot of research into finding certain, you know, methods or whatever mm-hmm. to deal with the brain fog and to help me listen better and be more present. And that's why I've done so much reading and, and things like that and having lots of conversations on the podcast about it because mm-hmm. it means so much to me. It's a big part of my journey. Right. And the main thing that I've found is, is meditation. Mm-hmm. That helps me to identify with uh, just who I actually am mm-hmm. and that I am not those thoughts. Mm-hmm. I am not my emotions. Like it was really, really profound, even though it's so simple to say and it's, it makes so much sense. Like, oh, obviously, you're not your thoughts, you're not your mm-hmm. emotions. But to me, that was very, very profound because I felt like I, I identified so strongly with my emotions mm-hmm. that I thought I just didn't really ever nobody ever taught me that I wasn't that so to actually put that into words and to right. actually really believe that and feel that mm-hmm. just really made a big difference for the the way that I think of myself the way that I view the world mm-hmm. and so when I meditate I just turn that awareness away from all the, the thoughts and the busy thinking mind and the desire to absorb information mm-hmm and just to sit with the actual root of who I am, mm-hmm. that awareness that is, sits like somewhere behind your thoughts, mm-hmm. wherever it is. I don't really know like where it, it feels like it's behind my eyes somewhere. <laughs> I don't really know exactly where it is, but do you think it could be like a spirit, a spirit 
or like a soul or mm-hmm. something yeah i guess i don't i can't really decide if it if it's my brain like does my brain have to do with my consciousness i don't really know because yeah. when i sleep my consciousness does something else but it's still like a part of my brain mm-hmm. um but does that mean like when i die it just shuts off i don't really know but before i came before i was ever a human being I don't ever remember experiencing anything. So I don't really know if my consciousness has to do with a brain or if it's a spiritual thing, like a, like a, like a soul. An intelligence. That, right. Like an intelligence or a soul. And my, mm-hmm. my brain is just a part of my body because your brain, its main job isn't to think. Its main job is to keep you alive. Keep things going. Like it's the hormones and things. Yeah. Like it's the powerhouse that pumps my heart and makes mm-hmm. my lungs breathe and because mm-hmm. when i i can think about breathing and i can you know consciously mm-hmm. take a deeper breath than normal but when i stop thinking about it my brain is still making it happen and there's like things inside my body that are happening that i'm not even consciously aware of that's my brain's job to do that to to monitor that and keep that all going but they can also do surgery on the brain that takes away that ability yeah takes away the ability to or an accident takes that away yeah and like certain drugs can alter your consciousness and Mm -hmm. your awareness Mm -hmm. so that's the thing that i've i mean it's a very philosophical existential thing that i've been thinking a lot about but i don't want that to like take over my whole purpose in life i don't want that to take over my my ability to be present so that's why i meditate to stop doing that, to stop thinking about what is consciousness and what do I believe and where did I come from? Where am I going? And all these things, I, I try to just be very, be more present mm-hmm. and just be like, okay, well, this is, I am here now. So let me just enjoy like mm-hmm. what it feels like to be a human being and enjoy having a beautiful girlfriend who loves me and we can go out and go like snowboarding and just like pet my cat and enjoy the sunshine and enjoy the tea that I'm drinking and tea sounds lovely yeah Yeah, I have to say that we've been teaching um more mindfulness and we can't really call it meditation because it implies maybe a spirituality to it so Hmm. in school we just call it mindfulness and that's basically what we do is just teach them how to um you know, metacognition, teaching them that they are thinking, that this is the process of me thinking. You can hear my voice, you can hear something happening outside, and you can be aware that you're hearing those things. And, you know, get in touch with your body. Where are you? How do you feel? Oh, my seat is hard. Well, I you can feel that you feel a certain way in the chair, but you can feel that way and it's okay. That's it's cool. just being aware of everything that's happening around you and letting that be okay. Like I woke up, I I didn't maybe get my way this morning. Yeah, not fighting. I I didn't get my way this morning. I wanted to wear something else, but I go to the school that makes me wear a uniform. And so I'm in this uniform and I'm okay with that, you know, and that's all mindfulness is, is just being mindful, literally being, you know, a mindful being, knowing that you have a brain, knowing that your brain can think you know, looking at a math problem and being like, I don't get this. I really just, this does not make sense to me. And then being aware this math problem doesn't make sense to me, but it's okay. I might get it tomorrow. It's not working today, but I'll get there tomorrow. Hmm. And 
that's that's leaps and bounds you know we had to do that with yeah i never went down school <laughs> it's not that i can remember yeah i probably just wasn't paying attention yeah. looking out the window just always somewhere else yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know i'm always somewhere else the only time that i like especially with movies i'll get stuck on a thing that happened or i'll be thinking about what i think is going to happen and i i've been that's like practice for me to just try to be present with the movie and just watch what's happening and not be thinking of something else mm-hmm. it's really hard for me except if the movie is a horror movie <laughs> which is so weird why is it that is weird well you said earlier about fear how you kind of I mean, fear sounds like something that you really identify with, an fear emotion really that you're used my to. Attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why? I wish that wasn't the case. It's the same with Canyon, though. He loves horror movies, but I don't know if he. I don't know, you know, if he identifies with that feeling very well or not. But he does love horror movies. If I'm afraid, I'm just so aware, so present. So adrenaline, adrenaline focuses you. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know if that's a good thing. It, I think that's a like a hunter-gatherer thing, you know? Like, if I absolutely have to pay attention, if there's a consequence, if I'm going to die, then I'm then I'm aware and I'm present because mm-hmm. my that's biology doesn't... That's why you made a oh. really good firefighter. <laughs> because I you I were, But you were on it. Like, you could go into a situation and you could pull yourself away from the feelings and the emotions in the like oh my gosh this person's house this person's belongings and knowing that the people were safe you were able to get in there and be like oh fire i need to save you know yeah but i don't want fire and death to be like the thing that (laughs) that's what i'm trying to do with my brain now i'm trying to train it and harness that ability to hyper focus naturally under fear and consequence of death Mm -hmm. i'm trying to harness that ability to when i want mm-hmm. learn how to tame that portion so i can use it when i'm not f- afraid you know like if i'm talking to my partner and she's telling me about her day mm-hmm. a lot of times it's not like scary not afraid and so it's uh, so it's just naturally more difficult to listen mm-hmm. because She's told me a lot of times about her complaints or about this or that or whatever. I know most likely what she's going to say. And so I, okay, I don't necessarily have to pay attention. And I'm not consciously doing that. My brain just naturally just wanders off. And so... Have you done that during this podcast? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm always doing it. Mm -hmm. So I'm... But that's the thing is I'm trying to... Going back to what I was talking about before, meditation and just methods of of behavior and strategies to, to figure it out to learn that about myself and then to learn how to control it mm-hmm. is a massive feat for me. And I think that's great too. That's what we do in mindfulness too because we have them try and think about like empty the thoughts out of their heads and then or have them think about one thing like show them a picture or something like that and then be aware like did your mind wander? Oh yeah, it did. We'll come back. I think unconsciously that's why I talk to people about such vulnerable things or I I ask them such vulnerable questions, try to get the real out of them because that's also something that really draws me in and 
captures my attention and focus Mm -hmm. is when they're really sharing something deep and heavy, Mm -hmm. something that makes them feel emotional, something that brings up a lot of vulnerable feelings from them Mm -hmm. because then I'm like present. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that captures my attention. So fear and vulnerability, (laughs) 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 which I don't know. I don't want that to be the thing. I don't because not everybody wants to drop in super deep. It's like, heavy it's exhausting i don't want that to be i want to just i want to be present in in normal conversations in just regular conversation small talk things about people's day whatever it doesn't i don't want them to feel like they have to drop in with me super deep just so that i'll listen Mm -hmm. that's not fair and people don't always want to have to share vulnerable things with me yeah and that's okay and i want to be able to still be present with them Mm mm-hmm regardless anyway it's hard but i'm trying to do my part and and figure that that out about myself so that i can that's good it's good to always have something to work on yep a balance yeah well i have to go (laughs) i have to (laughs) go do some a photo shoot for raw okay well thanks for having me yeah, it's thanks fun. for coming on the podcast mm-hmm. and being vulnerable, talking about your challenges with teaching. Yeah, thanks for being interested. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't because you weren't interesting that that's another thing that I think people don't understand about uh, people that have ADD. It's not because you aren't interesting. It might be because you said something that captured my attention and I got stuck thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I that's do that a, too. I think that's a normal human thing. We all do that. Yeah. You know. So one thing that I've been trying to do is to to learn how to realize my mind does that mm-hmm. and then to learn how to let it go. Well, to let and thoughts also, just come and go. Also just listen or have a pad of paper so you can write down a, a trigger word and then you can f- come back to it later on so that you can focus that's another way to just get it out that's not always realistic, get it out of though. your head but that might be something to where like i know i do that when i have to listen to really long marco polos like my family <laughs> goes on and there's four of us oh, on there yeah. and so there's all these marco polos and i'm like oh my gosh how am i going to ever remember because i have like one from mom and one from tracy and one or three or from sheree or something and then how am i going to remember what tracy said way so you back, write down like, talking 20, so i'm like write down write down my points so that i can remember you should just tell them to make shorter marco polos make one point make one point in your marco polo and then let me respond <laughs> seriously that'd be <laughs> easier so yeah i just wanted to clear that up it's not just it's not anybody else's responsibility i can't just tell people that i'm talking to like hey before you enter into conversation with me only <laughs> say certain things that are really exciting because i'm not going <laughs> to listen otherwise so yeah. I'm just recognizing that's my responsibility. I can't not, I cannot expect that of other people mm-hmm. to talk in a certain way to cater to my brain. Right. I have to learn my tendencies and adjust. Yeah. And, uh, or, you know, I can communicate that, but I, I can't place that expectation on other people. Yeah. So taking responsibility for my own brain. Well, that's good. One thing actually that's really hard for me is if I find myself not listening, mm-hmm. it's very difficult for me, but I, I'm trying to to tell the person like, I'm really sorry, I was not listening. And I don't want you to feel like, 
I'm, I'm trying to learn how to how to communicate that to people. Well, I think you're doing a good job because I've actually heard you do that. And then you'll go back and say, when you said this, it triggered this whole other wormhole that my brain went down. And so just restart. I've heard you do that with Taylor. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. And she's, you know, when she's in front of me, she's really good. I don't know what she does in <laughs> private, but when, <laughs> she yeah. just kind of laughs it off. And I think that's awesome. Just realizes that, oh, there she, we go again. No, she to give you insight, she encourages me to do that. She's mm-hmm. like, please tell me. If you're not listening, I don't want to just be talking to somebody just, who's not listening. Yeah. So please tell me. And don't get down on yourself for, oh my gosh, I'm not listening again. I'm so stupid. Why can't I just... Because then you miss that much more. It's, you know, it's you need so to just incredibly like, healing to have a mm-hmm. partner who gives me, gives me permission mm-hmm. to tell her when I am not listening or to ask for her to communicate in a way that that I can listen and then but to also encourage me to take responsibility for my part in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, dad she's... and I have had to do that because dad did the same thing. And we went on for years and years and years with me just thinking that he was completely uninterested in what I had to say yeah, because he, he has that exact um, quality that you just described that you have, because yeah. I'll say something which he's, you know, he's interested in a little bit, but then he'll go off in his little wormhole and then forget completely. Yeah. And so then he can now say, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. And I like how you <laughs> called it a quality just now. It, it's really, I wish that society would label it as a quality rather than a disorder. Because that's stigmatizing mm-hmm. and it's it's hard to be, you know, termed as a, that you have a disorder. When you're, it's not, it's just a quality. It's a different wiring of your brain. Yeah. It's just a... I don't like it when people call it that. It is, it's just a different way of thinking. It's not wrong and it's not bad. It's just different. And we need to get used to, you know, saying that it is, it's just different. It's a different way. And it's, it's something that, you know, we all have this society, this standard that we live by. And if you don't fit into the standard, we have this, now people are saying that it's not right. But in a school system with all of these different personalities and really diverse mm-hmm. learning styles and, you know, backgrounds and it's not wrong it's just different if you can't if you can't read by the time you're 10 it doesn't mean you're stupid it means that you learn differently you learn at your own different pace and there's nothing to be ashamed of for that i'd be really curious to try adderall to see what it would do Mm -hmm. to me if i could if it would just make me more present more with a a different ability like if it would make me more like everybody else or people without add Mm mm-hmm I don't know if that's the best choice to make or whatever, because it's it's just like meth. <laughs> I think you should just embrace who you are and embrace yeah, the I, things that, that you have. That feels like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Rather than try and take something that makes you fit into society, just be who you are. But I'm just, I wouldn't want to do it for the long term. I would, I'm just curious of what it, it, what it feels like mm-hmm. to, to be like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like if I could have a just a taste of what it's like to be like somebody who doesn't have ADD. Cause if that's what it does, I want to know what that's like so that I can better relate to somebody on the other end of the conversation. Well, I know that THC definitely focuses me if yeah. I'm having a really hard time focusing. Cause I have the same brain, but I'm more like, um, I can listen to a bunch of different conversations at once. You know, I can, I can do that and kind of focus, which makes it really difficult for me when I need to sit here and plan and he's got a game going. Taylor's the same way. She's like when she's in a room and 
there's multiple conversations, like a party. She is mm-hmm. aware of every single person and every single conversation. Everything within earshot. <laughs> I'm not that way. I am so no, one track dad. mind. Yeah, dad, dad is just like that. And there's a there's a beauty to that. I love it. And there's a beauty to that too, to yours too, which I I can do that. Well, I, I was can talking do about mine. What... <laughs> there's a beauty to mine. Like I'm the, yeah, the one track sure. mine. I can be in a crowded mm-hmm. room, and I can focus in on one conversation, and I can channel mm-hmm. my focus to something else. But I. I have a hard time like being aware of everything. I think part of mine is just being a mom and having to hear lots of different things in different corners of the house all at once, being aware where everybody's at, what's happening. But like the other night at Jasmine's birthday party for the boys, it was just overwhelming. Like I could tell that something was up with you. Yeah. All the noise and every, it was just, it was very different. Like I had a very serious conversation going on with um, someone sitting next to me. I was really trying hard to be present for her because she's going through something very, very hard right now. Uh-huh. And so it was very difficult because something would happen and I, someone fell or someone said something really funny and I can hear that and want to kind of be in there too. But I really just didn't feel like I could drop in with her yeah. because I was so fragmented. Hmm. But Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember going to a party one time and my something was going on with my brain, but I was like you. I remember I remember being able to be aware of everything that was going on in the room and it was it, it put me in the worst mood because mm-hmm. I couldn't focus on anything mm-hmm. and anything specific without being aware of everything else and it was awful. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to leave. I didn't want to be there at all. Which is why I usually don't stay at parties for very long. <laughs> Yeah, it's or go not, to them at all because fun. I know it's going to be like that. And it's too hard. Yeah, maybe there's some behavioral techniques or some strategies you can research to, yeah, be more like me. Be more like you. <laughs> okay, well I better run. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This was yeah. really exciting to talk to you. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah. All right. I always like it. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>